Oh, yeah, you're, like, you're, blending. you're, you're recording now. Yeah, it's recording. So you're going to be blending in this from some point on. Yeah, I think yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> um, should we just make an official start? And... So it always gets awkward when I say let's make an official start. I know. All right, we've, we've officially started. <laughs> um, you are an all-timer at this now. Fourth time, I think, maybe, or... Yeah, but you, you stepped up to the plate, I think, in a big way last week. <laughs> I, I didn't step up to the plate. Um, oh, controversial. Oh, can, I'm so frustrated with that podcast last week. We had the great Stuart McSwain on. and One of um, the best guests we could have hoped for at this stage of everything. And we're all, you know, we're texting each other in the lead up, excited about this chat. And, uh, yeah. So funny. So, um, the elephant in the room. If, you, if anyone <laughs> listened to it last week, um, and was like, what the heck is going on with this sound quality? <laughs> so the great man, Stuart McSwain, said, hey, um, come around, we'll, we'll do a podcast. And I was like, sweet, didn't ask any questions, just rocked up. So we met him out in front of his house. He comes out, greets us, you know, shaking hands, you know, a bit of a catch-up. And uh, we then asked, oh, so are we going upstairs or are we sort of heading somewhere else? And he was saying his house was unavailable <laughs> for, the, for the recording. So, <laughs> Which is fine. Actually, his sister was up there and... Uh, so we followed along and we ended up in a subway and I was laughing. I was I was thinking, as we were sitting there, it was sort of funny. Well, preceding that, it was a Sunday afternoon, so we're looking for a cafe, but everyone that looked okay was, you know, was closed. And we go past a few restaurants and they're playing some, you know, quite loud music and it was oh, just what well, nothing was really standing out. I was trying not to be a difficult customer as well. I was like, oh, I haven't seen Stewie in years. I don't want to be a pain in the ass. He's still a bit of favourite. I'd already asked him to do like a little recording after the yeah. after the podcast. So I thought, let's just leave it. Anyway, we started. So, so we got into the um, we got right. into Subway, and I said, like, I wasn't going to get anything. I ended up spending twenty five bucks on drinks and Subway just to, to try and um, say, hey, it's all right. We're going to use your space for an hour. Yeah. Um, but look, we paid twenty five bucks. That's not bad for an hour. Yeah. And uh, I said, mate, is there any chance? It's no stress. Um, we can go somewhere else. But could you turn your volume of your music down? He goes, oh, no worries. Yeah, that's fine. And, and he, he turns it down, and he, he actually turned it down to a really quite a nice level. It was just purely really minute background noise, and we're sitting down going, "This is all right. This might work." <laughs> but then five minutes in, oh, so he, he definitely turned it back up. He didn't he? turned it up hundred percent. Because I was listening back to the podcast <laughs> and. Uh, I was like, there's, there's no way that the volume was that loud on that music when I first asked. No, him. because we were so content. Like, I think if it had been, if you hadn't have turned it down, I'm not sure we would have stayed. No, I, think, I don't think we would have. I think we would have found somewhere else, but I felt like once we had started, we were five minutes in, we found our groove, and it was almost then, oh, shit. This oh, is and in fairness, it's one of those <laughs> ones that if you can tune out the background noise, it's a bloody good conversation. It Stand was. Standout yeah. point for me, and I, I put it on my social media. What about Stewie? He said, uh, so when he ran 3.31, yeah. he's done no work on the track at under 60 second pace for, for 400. That's I caught up with, um, I went for a run with Craig Huffer and yeah. Jordan Guzman this week and uh, they, they'd seen the social media post that I put up pretty much with what I just said and uh, Jordan goes, yeah, but surely he was busting out some 300s in 36s or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, he just didn't do like, the complete lap in. I don't think he did. No, no, I, I totally believe it. Yeah, 100%. Potentially the only thing that might have been in there quicker would be a few strides post easy runs, you know, potentially like a lot of athletes do, but I'm not sure you can count that as, you know, fast work on the track, can you really? Or... I don't think so. And what's interesting to me about those numbers is, and our good mate Jocker loves to throw this question out there as well, like how much of the training that uh, Australian athletes are doing is is actually personalised. Like it's something that mm. um, you've got the generic program of Tuesday, Thursday, Thursday, Saturday sessions, do your long run on a Sunday. Um, and if you're training for a 1500, like the idea of me who was a, at my very best, my PB was 349, yep. the idea that I would line up at the start of a 1500 without some 60-second pace in my legs, that would have been crazy to me. So it's, I don't know, it, it, for me it opened like a can of worms of um, – you know, is there is there better ways to do it? Are we are we just tricked into this idea that you have to be doing fast words in order work in order to be able to? I think placebo is a real powerful thing and a oh, real of course. thing. Yeah. And to line up knowing that you can run a certain pace is great. I have a question for you. You might have a bit more of an insight than me. So, what are the differences between, let's say, an Adam Didic style of training versus a Nick Bido? Like, are there major differences there, or is it quite traditional Australian training? Uh, to be fair, I probably I probably don't know exactly what yeah. Adam's doing with his athletes. I currently. I know yeah, yeah. I currently uh, I know what he was doing back in the day, um, and and I know for though he had like a you know when it was when it was winter or something it might have been 
what looked like a standard sort of training program for myself. But I know when it comes to your Jesses and when it comes yeah. to like your really highly performing athlete, I know how much time and effort he puts into those yep. individual programs, what that looks like from week to week, I, I don't know yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, a, yeah, it's, a, it's a tough question. It is. There's not many coaches out there that really sort of go on a different path. And I, I think, you know, there's a couple, and I look at someone like the, you know, Justin Rinaldi in Melbourne, that, you know, he's an 800 coach like he targets that event and he has a very unique style of coaching just from what you can see on his social media he posts everything i love what i love following what his guys are doing it's, i know nothing about him what, what kind oh, of stuff does he intensity just yeah. a lot a lot of fast lactic tolerance work and it's um a lot of hill work at this time of the year and it's quite incredible to see just like how that differs and comparing that with someone like a like a luke matthews is you know, an 800 runner as well, but doing a lot more of that traditional Australian style and methods. It's, um, yeah, I like the, like the variability. It gives people choice. Mm. Well, a, yeah. It, it's true. I, I, I mentioned I, I ran with Huffer and Guzman this week, and they're on what appears to be some, like, uh, the only way I know how to explain it is it seems to be a little more tailored or a little bit, yeah. it's, it's tainted with the American sort of, I, I yeah. don't know how to explain it. It's like a... Well, you've seen this Strava. I, I said to Huff the other day, mate, there's no way I'm going yeah. for a long run with you. Yeah. So, for example, Huff went out a couple of, what, like a week and a half ago yeah. and ran, <laughs> it was like 25K in 3.35 average or something. A run that at one point you attempted to go along and join them with. <laughs> <laughs> I missed his Guzman the day before. I said, mate, I'm, uh, I'm heading out for a run tomorrow, 15K. Yeah. You're up for it, but I start early. And he, he just, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but he said to me, he's like, mate, I'm actually uh, – going to run with Huff and we're planning to pick it up a little bit, which was like a very polite way of saying, mate, you're not going to be able to keep up right now. It, it is interesting because like, you know, we've done a lot of running in Ballarat, like with Steve Monaghetti doing some long runs on most Sundays and traditionally those would start out quite, quite slow. Definitely pick up towards the end. Mm. However, there was no way no one would be out the gates in a 3.46. Not a chance. <laughs> not, <laughs> not a chance. chance. So I went for a run this morning and – I think my first K was 5.50 or something like that, and I felt like it could yeah. have potentially been a 4.42. <laughs> Sunday morning vibes, it was early. Shocked to um, the system. So, yeah. Uh, I actually, I had a chat to him about that. He goes, oh, no, every now and then I just like to, to wind my legs over and to see what they can do, um, and, which I sort of get. Like, it's a nice oh, yeah. idea, especially if you're – it's interesting from a – I think for a, for a bloke who's, who's predominantly like a 1,500, I guess – you probably, yeah, 1,500-meter run. Like, Guzman, it makes more sense to me. More of a 5K guy. Yeah. yeah. It just seemed like a lot of work for, for a bloke like Huff to do. But well, Huff, Huff, well, I mean, he's probably just a classic miler, isn't he? 800, yeah. he probably doesn't quite have that turnover. But, you know, from these sorts of sessions, it makes you wonder if he could drop a big five. Wait, I, can, I can tell you something right now. I reckon I've, I've got my fingers crossed as I say this as well. Craig Huff has had the most frustrating 10 years of, of any athlete I know. So for I know, those of you yeah. don't know Craig Huff, he ran 336 at age 20, which I, I can honestly say I'm probably happy, happier for him now yep. with that achievement as than I was at the time because I still felt like I was trying to compete against him yeah. at the time. Um, <laughs> but he ran 336 as a 20-year-old, 20, 20 uh, struggled with injury. Nine, ten 10 years ago. Nine, yeah, 10 years yeah. ago. Um, and his body just got just got belted since then. But I, I think just watching him run, he looks. I've only seen him do a couple of like the longer runs, but I've looked at a couple of his Strava sessions, and I've and I've heard a few little rumors that he's in he's in some smoke and hot form. And I think one thing that people forget when you haven't heard a name for a long time is the talent doesn't disappear. And I was going to say, I think if he potentially dropped a really huge time and put his name, you know, highlights his name ready for the Olympic trials and the qualification period, I think a few people would be like. Who you know? How how does this guy come from nowhere? But the reality is, he's still been living the life of an athlete for the last decade. Just had a rough run of it. Yeah, yeah he really has. This is like also. I think three thirty six is when you talk about Craig Huffer. That's probably the time that most people remember that he ran. But one thing that he also did, he's run a 350, 353 mile. Yeah. Um, at the Fifth Avenue. Yeah. Mile in New York in like two thousand and twelve. That's right. Big Gregson. Um, and he, he was fourth to. I think it was Centrowitz, Lagat, uh, oh, what's that little, it's like a little Mexican dude. <laughs> <laughs> and he used to always finish like Sorry, little Mexican dude, <laughs> not knowing your name. I, know, I, I do know who you mean. He's not Mexican. Manzano. 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 Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly American. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's so funny. Leo, well, if you're listening, we're sorry. We're very sorry. It's a great race by you. But if you're listening, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but he's um, he's put some big times up on the board. So I mean, he was actually planning to run the the Vic Milers Club the other day. He yep. wanted to get out and run a fast time. His name was on the start list and everything. Three k. Three k. But uh, the, the weather was just shocking that yeah, day. Yeah, I heard about that. I think if you wanted to run a fast time, it's almost a, yeah. it's, it's a dumb race to go and run if you're going for a fast time. Interestingly enough, it's a decent start list. Like Sam McEntee was there. That's another Olymp- that's oh, an Olympian there as well. Like it's it's not bad for a local event, is it? It's awesome. Yeah. And uh, and Andy Buchanan. Did you watch that race? No, I didn't. I saw the results, but no. Yeah, yeah. it's a really interesting race actually. Like uh, Sam McEntee just looked like he was he was just flowing the whole way yeah. through. And then it was funny with. With 400 to go, he, he sort of took off and had a little look over his shoulder and the commentator said something about him running with like a little bit of cockiness or arrogance yeah. or whatever. I don't think he was. I think I genuinely think like the vibe that I got watching the race was that he was, um, I reckon he was trying to make a race of it or drag a couple of boys along like Andy yeah. was right on his shoulder. But then coming down the back straight, it looked like he had so much energy left and he was about to run away. Yeah. But I think the heat wind just hit him and I thought Andy Buchanan was going <laughs> to run over the top of him. I wouldn't mind if he was a bit cocky. Like he surely he should be as you know as an Olympian, like lining up in a field like that, thinking I should smoke these guys. Well, I don't like, mind a little bit of cockiness in the yeah, running. Yeah, a little either. bit's okay. Yeah, I, I don't love too much. Yeah, yeah. Well, I reckon Mottram had a reputation for being pretty cocky back in the day, and I kind of I liked a little bit of swagger. But if Mottram was ten seconds slower over five k, I think I would dislike it a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Oh, I don't know. I feel like he, he legitimately had the runs on the board to allow it. I think you know. Some people might get there a little bit too early. Yeah, he yeah. did have some good numbers on the board. Man, I want to get him on. I've messaged him twice and said, <laughs> hey, hey um, do you want to come on my podcast? Yeah. And got crickets both on. <laughs> so I'm thinking it's going to be a long-term project to, to get him on. be a bloody good guest again. He'd be a great like, guest. Yeah. He just doesn't, he just hates podcasts. He's not interested. Really? I imagine the stories he'd have to. Like, there would be some absolute pearls of stories that this, you know, medium could actually, you know, extract from him that, you know, he wouldn't tell the newspaper. He wouldn't have told the news back in the day. Like, you could just imagine, you know. Honestly, I, I asked him five years ago. Yeah. Because, um, uh, I don't know, it was before I'd even started, like, any form of podcasting. Yeah. I just wanted to interview people that I was really interested in. Yeah. And I messaged him. I said, like, are you interested in doing a podcast yeah. with me? And he, he wrote back, not at all. Um, <laughs> and I said, okay, well, what would it take? And he goes, oh, get me a 1983 bottle of Penfold Grange. And uh, so I went home and Googled it, and I think it was $900. I said, mate, you're going to have to wait. You can't be a guest just yet. But uh, you're right. Like, he, he's the kind of bloke as well. He's not on social media. He doesn't do – Yeah. Uh, well, actually, that's a lie. Sorry. He's on – he is on social. He's on Instagram and stuff. But he – like, the whole the whole idea of publicizing yourself or, or just getting an audience, he just seems so uninterested. Which is, he doesn't give a – it's just kind of refreshing. But how bizarre that that comes from a bloke who did have that level of – you know, cockiness or let's say arrogance, deserved arrogance. Yeah. But how weird that now he's almost this, you know, insular sort of human who just doesn't want the limelight. It um, doesn't it, seem to fit, does well, it? Well, I, I don't think – I reckon he's the kind of guy that – I actually don't think he was ever necessarily about the limelight in a funny kind of way. He was yeah. a, He was a really – um like even still you talk to him, he's just – he's a straight talker. He's a straight shooter. He'll yeah. tell you what he's thinking, what he thinks of you, what he thinks you're doing well, what he thinks you're doing badly. Um, and he's happy to tell you what he's doing well himself, yeah. which is like, okay, especially yeah. when you say it like that, it's perceived as this complete arrogance, which like, you can understand why. Yeah. But at the same time, I reckon a lot of the time just that, that perception you have of him as like this arrogant like Australian athlete is, is not you personally, do you know what I mean? But just yeah. the general public yeah. is, is a bit of a, a bit astray from what his real character is like. I, yeah. I, I, I personally – I get the vibe he's a bit of a shy guy. I reckon he's a little bit of a shy guy. So he's a bit put on, do you think, which maybe exacerbated the levels of, you know, of what he was putting out there. I think he's confident, but I just think he's shy. Yeah. okay. I think he's confident, but shy is it's the best rare, way isn't it? Isn't yeah. It? yeah. It's a he's rare a, combo. I, I sort of, he's, um, he's a really interesting personality. He's, <laughs> a, he's a kind of like that when I run, I'm just constantly trying to go. Like, I just, yeah, I'm trying to figure him out. Well, it's interesting, I think. You know, I, I like the mystery yeah. of it, but I just, I just can't wrap my head around it. Oh, it's an amazing mystery. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, potentially our greatest ever athlete, and he's, um, people still can't figure out what he's about. Very interesting. Anyway, yeah, I'm going to keep working on that. I've got a, I've got a feeling it's not going to happen anytime yeah. soon. Yeah, well, if you annoy him enough, you know, there's only so many times he'll say no, and then he'll be like, fuck it, if I can shut Tyson up and yeah. just go on once and it's done. I just, I think the way that he would shut me up is by saying, never message me again. 
And I'll say, I'm so sorry for all the trouble, of course, I won't. <laughs> You'll say that in a message after you told me not to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But, uh, man, he's, yeah, he's got some, some cracking stories. Like, there was, there was one that I'd love to, to ask him about where he was, um, it was the year that he won the World Cup and beat Bakili over 3K. Yeah. Around, like, 7.30. The flowing mullet years. Oh, like, where every kid, I don't know what happened, but the next year I had a rat tail, and it was inspired by that mullet. Bleach. Um, not bleach. No, I didn't, I didn't have that kind of strut. And all times on the board. Um, but there's a story that he tells when he was, he was at the airport getting ready to race, and some Aussie bloke came up to him, and he was sitting there eating, like, a little packet of banana chips. Yep. And uh, some bloke came up behind him, like, grabbed him on the shoulder, just mucking around, and he said he was just so tense and so wide, he got up and punched him in the throat. <laughs> you allowed to share this story, Thomas? <laughs> but, uh, hey, mate, you're more than welcome to come on and clarify the story. Craig, if there's two sides to this, <laughs> you're welcome on, yeah. mate. Oh, my gosh. That is insane. Yeah, I, um, I'm not sure who the athlete was, but he's laughing. he was laughing about it. Yeah. Um, Oh, I, I want to ask stories like about the training with Mo Farah back in the day when Mo was just his little training bitch. That's that's all he was. And what happened? Like, what does he think happened? I want to know the inside goss on all that. It's, um, yeah, incredible insights that you're just not going to well, get. Well, Mo Farah trained in Ballarat, didn't he? I know. Yeah. He trained in Ballarat, as as you said, Craig yeah. Watson's training bitch. Yeah. Then went on to win how many Olympic golds? <sighs> well, we met at, you know, Salazar, I think, and so I got, mm. got teed up on there, which, of course, puts a bit of a little bit of a shadow on all, all oh, things now. what so. on earth do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that you bring that up because there's, there's been a little bit of a, uh, an interesting week just with some of the revelations and some of the news and I guess some of the whistleblowers in regards to, to what it's been like um, in, in Salazar's camp. I guess, you know, I'm pointing towards yeah, I mean, I mean, this conversation mind. about Mira Kane. Yeah, it seems really, really grim. I, I'm not sure if I feel any sympathy for Salazar at the moment with everyone having a pot now that he's down, but it seems like this one was incredibly well-deserved. Well, can you? Can you just give me a bit of an overview? Yeah. I actually don't know that much. I haven't really... Do you know what I am? Yeah. I'm sort of... Sal- I'm like not Salazar bored, but I'm... Like I see another title, I'm like, I can't be bothered digging down into the real nitty-gritty. I'd much rather that someone like you do that digging and then explain to me what the heck is... It's like the Nike Next Percent debate. There's only so many times you can go over it before it becomes a little bit boring and repetitive. But yeah, so like, so he gets his ban, you know, from from uh, the anti-doping authorities. And then he um, comes out that Mary Kane, who was a... Ex, you know, so she skipped the collegiate system in America and I think she won World Juniors one year over 1500. So, really top talent. Joins up with Salazar and um, Salazar becomes really, really inappropriately critical about her weight at really such a young age. And you can think about like the changes that 18 year olds go through, particularly 18 year old females hormonally and, and body wise. Apparently, he would publicly weigh her and shame her amongst the training group, give her a number that she needed to, you know, to attain. And it was just, you know, incredibly inappropriate to the point where she was self-harming and it, it, and it's all it's all come out now. And, um, yeah, it just seems like he definitely had some ethical deficiencies from his, uh, you know, looking into all those testosterone creams to so even the way he was treating when it comes to it in America. You know, like an 18-year-old is not, not, not really seen as an adult. They can't drink. They can't, you know, they can drive. And he was, yeah, just an average bloke all around, it seems, which is... Super interesting from someone who was such a successful coach of you know like the Rups and the Ferris of the world and yeah just, yeah it's it's just interesting because I think he's he's one of those blokes that you look at the progression of the athletes like yeah. Mo Farah Galen Rupp that we just met I remember, it wasn't that long ago when Galen Rupp couldn't break four minutes for a mile like I remember yeah. actually remember um, speaking to Huffer before I remember Huffer going over and racing him over eight hundred and I think just tearing him to pieces yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, like his progression, he was always great as a junior. I yeah. That. But then his progression almost didn't seem to match his his junior talent. Yeah. And I remember just a few question marks sort of popping up in my mind, especially when Farah started to do what he did. Which I'm not even going to apologise for it. Actually, like when you when there's a reputation in a sport like there is, um, and there's progression like that, and then one bloke starts dominating every other bloke who there's already question marks. Over, yeah. Like, you have to ask questions. You're an idiot if you don't ask questions. Like, oh no, no. Like, um, he's just a, he's he, looking at his junior career. He wasn't. He wasn't. I don't know. He wasn't the cream of the crop. I, 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 I think I, I, I understand Rupp's progression more than Farah's. 
I feel like Rupp had everything given to him to the point where not even a lot of elite athletes get the opportunities that he had, like whether it's a, you know, training in the Alter Gs before really anyone else had access to them or all those underwater treadmill miles. I feel like Rupp's makes sense and I can rationalise Rupp's progression to, to where he got. Um, yeah, Mo's though, it just, that one just seems a bit perplexing that he's a guy who, you know, 329 or no eight eight there you go I'm pretty sure he's yeah right. all the way up to he's hit a pretty good marathon as well it just that seems yeah, yeah. it is interesting as a from Salazar's perspective um as I said I don't know the ins and outs of what yeah. he's done but I, I do get the idea that you want to look at like what's legal and what's allowed within yeah. this sport and get as close to that as close to that mark without cheating as you possibly can. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. in terms of trying to get the best out of your body and not crossing any lines, I get that. Like yeah. it's, it's lighter shoes, it's um, like losing the excess weight if you've got it. Recovery methods and all that, yeah. Yeah, but when it comes to, um, I guess, some of some of what he's done, I guess that's where it gets a little bit... It reminds me of um, in cycling. So I know cycling's obviously got more of a checkered past, but even recently, like with Chris Froome and Team Sky, and they used to say they were after the marginal gains. They were after those 0.001% advantages because if they could put together a hundred of those advantages, it becomes a really tangible improvement. Mm. And, you know, they're really being shown now as to be doing some things which are quite ethically misleading and inappropriate. And it, it seems that the Oregon Project was athletics equivalent of that and, it, and it's all coming out now. And So it's a hard one because it is a sport of win-at-all-cost mentality. Mm. You need to have it, don't you? And if you, if you think you can improve in... in in a way, you've, you've almost naive not to give it a crack, but yeah. When it comes to the, like the, I think for me, it's it's, it's a really strange situation. And I'm speaking purely about the weight gain thing right here. Yeah. Um, I, I understand because I reckon, like looking back at my career, I go, like I personally probably could have dropped a couple of, <laughs> couple what was, of what was your race weight like back in the day? I, I usually rocked it around, usually about it's like 68, 69 yeah. sort of yeah. kgs. I reckon 45 so, of those were my quads. <laughs> and Tyce is, you know, you're 5 foot 11 and a half sort of. Yeah, I call it 6. You're still at six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it's still quite lean. It's a lean physique and, you know, I think instead of having a number on the weight, there's different ways you can look at it. You can, I think for male athletes, you can look at just the body fat percentage as a good indicator. But for female athletes, there's all the differences again because – you know, without going into too much details, I think Mary Kane said she went three years without a menstrual cycle. And so the issue with that is, is bone density problems do occur with that, and she was out with stress fractures. So, Well, is that just because she's purely overworked, or is that, that's got nothing to do with the pill? Um, it, it can, but yeah. I think – so women and female athletes in particular do need to be really conscious of their, you know, their body fat percentage and making sure that cycles are still regular yeah. because without that, it, you know, stress fractures and bone density and a lot of Australian athletes have gone through the same, th- same things. I've, I've heard stories of athletes like Eloise Wellings, um, you know, being out for long periods of time through bone density issues and, you know, and sort of um, problems with, with weight. And I, I think there's those understandings that I'm not sure, you know, it do, you don't need any educational courses to become a top-level coach on, on issues like that. And it's clearly at best naive, mm. at worst bordering on abusive, I think, by Salazar. And it's, um yeah, uh, average bloke, we'll go what, back to that. What, what happens to him from here? What is the actual story? So he's been stripped of his accreditation. He's gone. Minutes. He's gone yeah. because it's one of those issues, isn't it? Because let's just say he sits out his however many years, two or four or whatever it will be after all the appeal processes have, have been and gone. And and what? Like if you're an up-and-coming athlete, do you want to be associated with that? Mm. Like do you, want, do you want your time to be questioned by people? And, you know, I, I think – because, you know, there'll be athletes considering that and imagine all the hard work, you know, athletes put in and then have those questions asked about them if they are clean and if they are, you know, removed from all of that. It would be, it'd be shocking. You'd be, you'd be hurt emotionally. It would take it out of you. And, yeah, I, I, can't, I cannot see him having any part in the sport. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, the truth is, yeah, you're right. Like, if any athlete told me now they were going to train with Salazar, yeah. like, what are you, are you, are you yeah, stupid? Like, I know, I know. It's a, it's yeah. a ridiculous move. Yeah. Um, yeah, far out. Well, that'll be interesting to watch that that sort of space. So, what's the what's the deal with Mary Kane then? So, there's, there's has there been quite a few athletes coming out and just slamming Salazar the last couple of weeks since he's already. Yeah, so there's been a few. There's been a good handful, and I think you know you guys, you know, the listeners here can go out and have a bit of a Google and see her, you know, who those were and what they've had to say. And a few have been apologetic about not stepping in, and a few have been really backing up 
her accounts of how he was, you know, in particular with the female athletes, really critical of their weight. And I, I think it's just a purely, you know, naive way about, you know, the biological differences between, you know, female and male athletes. And, and you know, it's, you can say to, you know, females have more things to consider when they're, you know, running at a really, really low body fat percentage as opposed to you or I would have to really worry about. And it's, um, yeah, those weren't considered and, yeah, potentially ruined one of America's or the world's best junior talents. Bloody hell. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to be interesting space yeah. to watch in the meantime. Yeah. Uh, that's honestly, that's been an education to me about sellers. Like, cause as I said, I haven't been following a whole yeah. week, but we'll touch base on it in the next, the next sort of couple of weeks. Hopefully we don't have to. Hopefully just like sales out to oblivion and we don't hear from him. I think, I think that'd be a pretty good outcome where people can move on. Yeah. But yeah, good point. knowing the media might not happen that way. I've got a little, um, I've got a little next point written down here that I want to speak to you. And we can go into um, <clears throat> the New York marathon, which was a couple of, a yeah. couple of weeks ago now, if you want. Um, I wanted to speak to you a little bit about Brett Robinson's, uh, yeah, in particular, because uh, he's just such a he's a he's a ridiculously talented athlete with a couple of options up his sleeve as to to where he goes, what he does. Um, almost reminds me a little bit of the the Troopy story with the progression from his five yeah. k into the marathon. Lee and, Troop, did he get get the Australian record over five? I believe one. Well, what did he run? Is he, did he run thirteen fourteen or thirteen eleven? I think it was eleven. Yeah, I reckon he ran thirteen eleven, and then yeah. the next season moved up to five k. Uh, sorry, up to marathon. the marathon. Which okay, like yeah, it, fine. Like you're, you're running incredibly well. Why not have a crack at the marathon? But at the same time, when you just run an Australian record, and, th- and thirteen eleven is an Olympic finalist. I think that's what you've really got to consider. If you can run that quite regularly, you're going to make Olympic finals. But I look at Robinson and I'm, and as an Olympic finalist over five k, and I'm wondering when enough becomes enough in the marathon. So he ran like you know to give the listeners a bit of clarity here. He ran two seventeen fifty, finished twenty third. Which you know in New York you can look at this a couple of ways. It's a hilly course, no pacemakers, and he stated that he was going to race. But then I look at the results the Australian women had over there. And, and, you know, same day, same conditions, no pacemakers, just racing. And, and they were outstanding. Like, you look at Diver and Pashley run ridiculously well over there. And I just look at someone like Robinson and I wonder how long he has left in the marathon if he doesn't hit a sub 210 soon. What's he run? 211 and change. Mm. And, and I, I just wonder because I think if you're an Olympic finalist over 5K, I think to warrant your spot in the sport, in the sport of marathoning, you need to be a 209 minimum guy. Yeah, what's he run in the 5K? 13.18? Oh, I would have thought quicker. I can give it a quick Google, actually. Yeah, it might it, be worthwhile, yeah. Yeah, he might have, maybe 13.14 he's run. But yeah, yeah. Find, find that out because I'm really interested because I'll, I'm just wondering what would be, what would be a, a better sort of, What's a better time? Is two eleven or thirteen fourteen better? Well, that's the um. I'm just on the IAAF website right now, and just for anyone at home, check out that much. <laughs> 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 he doesn't fuck around. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what's better. Be, what do you think? It's a really good question. I think I'll probably take the thirteen fourteen over a two eleven. Yeah. Assuming that's what he's run. So he's ran, here are his PBs. So he's ran 338 Good. over 15. He's ran 745 over 3K. He's ran 1315. 1315. And a 2758.10. But yeah, it's just, you look at that, the marathon. Sorry, I undersold him. He's a 210.55 guy. That's good running, really. It is. So this is the issue that I have with marathoning in general. Best case scenario, you do two a year. Yeah. Now, not everyone's going to be fast. So you don't have your slow ones in there, like you know. So you run, you can run two a year, best case scenario. Every four years, you've got an Olympics where you pretty much kiss goodbye to a fast time. You know, more often than not, if you run any other championship, like world championship, marathons, Commonwealth Games, again, you can generally kiss goodbye to a fast time. I, I feel like he's at that stage, or if he doesn't really pop a really good time here, it's you'd have to start questioning it and wondering, am I better off just being a five k Olympic finalist? I reckon, uh, I reckon those numbers, there's something about the 210. Yeah. Get the truth is, if he runs 56 seconds fast, he doesn't even really need to. Yeah. Two, 210, any number after that is yep. is world-class running. Yeah. I, I, I agree. It is world-class. 
it, Matt, your question is... Well, so when, when I say it's world-class, uh, yeah, what, what's it. his world ranking? Mm. His world ranking would be, you know, he, he wouldn't be probably top 300. In the marathon? Yeah. And yet we're saying this is a bloke who I think would be, knowing that the type of racer he is, and he has made an Olympic final like five. Yeah, so you're saying, okay, look, it looks like yeah, your main talent sort of lies in the 5K. Well, potentially, but I mean, you know, looking at his speed over 15, you sort of might say he clearly is more, you know, attuned, you know, towards those longer distances. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think you definitely be an interesting thought process. It'll be interesting to see if he goes to run another one in, in March or April or, you know, one of those Japanese marathons, tries to nail a good Olympic qualifier there. Yeah, true. And yeah. also, like, just to keep in the in the back of your mind, I think it's easy after a bad or, or not a great result over a marathon to go oh, far out. Like, is this where he's, yeah. his best taste lies? Because I can imagine the conversation if he had to run 209.59, yeah. I was going, oh, my gosh, like, what else could he possibly? I know. But I'm, I'm putting it out there. If he ran 209.59, let's compare him to Lee Trooper, right? So probably similar PBs, give or take. And Trooper's a sub-210 guy. I, I don't for me, I just feel like that's where he needs to be to see a future there. Because I think mm. Trippy ran 209 something and people were still questioning why he was running the marathon. Yeah. So <laughs> I just, and I, there is some, there is a ring to being a sub 210 guy. I mean, the reality is, he's if he sticks with it, he's our next, him or, you know, a Rainer or our next, you know, sub 210 guys. But I, I think he needs to run it. Mm. Just find a fast one and, and hold it on. And makes you even question why he ran New York. Yeah, it might. What did he finish up in New York? Oh, it was a twenties. I'm looking now. Yeah, twenty third. Because I'm thinking if there would be a payday like, for twenty third though. No, that's what I'm thinking. Maybe like what he's done. Because there's so many different factors, I guess, that come into yeah. like a big city marathon, and a payday would be a a big one. Like, I'm sure, there was an appearance fee negotiated. I don't know doubt. Okay, because. To be a gold label event, you know, the IAAF stipulate that you need a certain amount of athletes from certain continents and countries. So, hence why, you know, most marathons you can see people from Oceania competing in elite level athletes, that is. Yeah. So, you know, but, but yeah. The truth is, there's no running in the sport. Like, sorry, there's no, there's, unless, you're, unless you're winning a, a big city marathon or, or just winning big races fairly regularly. And, yeah, yeah, sure, you can say, yeah, he's on 100K or whatever. I don't know what he's on from yeah. from Nike and there's a little pay. Like, that's good. Is there any pressure from Nike, though? Because, like, I've heard firsthand from athletes who I won't mention but about incentive, incentivized-based contracts. And I guarantee you that, like, making an Olympic final gives you a good incentive on that contract. Mm. And so you, we're sitting here, you know, right now, and especially with – yeah, what marathon training does to your body, you know, you know, guaranteed to be fit and healthy on the start line. As you know, Jack Rayner can attest to right now with a stress fracture in his back. Yeah, like so, it's um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm being negative about this one, but I, I think those you'd be having those thoughts if you were him. Mm. What do you do? That's a good question. Yeah, and as as I said, one of those ones that you really want to pick his brain as to as to what he was thinking because if it was. Part of the appeal is, sure, like one thing is I want to run a fast time. No worries. Yeah. One thing is, okay, I want to get paid. But just like we were saying before we yeah. this record here, um, one person that we're talking about and her name has been popping up pretty regularly in the world of athletic, uh, in the world of marathon running is Sinead Diver, who um, yeah. has just taken, what, she finished fourth or sixth? Um, it's a good one. I've, yeah, she finished uh, seventh, actually, so we missed that. It ran 226.23. And Ellie Pashley running 227.07, finishing eighth. So like those two girls are just absolutely killing it. They don't seem to have a bad race. On a slow course as on well. On a slow course, on a tactical race. You know, you've got Ellie Pashley who's just finally picked up a, a sponsorship through New Balance, you know, and just goes out there and runs her set, you know, not even a PB. She ran quicker last earlier this year in Japan. Mm. It's um it's incredible. And you look at I just look at those two, right? And they don't run badly over a marathon distance. Or the 10K distance. And that sort of show, tells me, you know what, that's their event. There's no doubt. If you're a diver or Pashley, you're not sitting back right now going, where's my future lie? The only question you're asking yourself is, should I run the 10K or the marathon at the Olympics and then cash in with a payday somewhere else? But you know you're a better marathon runner. And I look at Brett Robinson thinking, I'm not sure he knows it or anyone else does what he's better at. Is, is 226 for women better than 210 for blokes? 
it's hard to convert, isn't it? Especially with that world record recently down to 14. You know, you, you see a lot of world marathon majors running that 218, 219 for the women. And so you say, what's that? You know, six, eight, seven and a half, eight minutes behind. So if you look at, you know, Berlin running what, 201, most marathon majors run at about 203, you'd suggest. Mm. Yeah, it's probably similar. That's, that's just, just yeah. hearing you say that sort of yeah. blows my mind. I remember, yeah. it wasn't that long ago when Paul Turgett ran the world record. Well, it was actually, it was 16 yeah. years ago. Um, when yeah. He ran 205 or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's insane to me how quickly this marathon's progressed. But it'd be an exciting time to be either of those two girls, Sinead or Ali, um, looking at your marathon prospects in the future. And yeah. Yeah. Particularly Ellie, because like it, like Sinead's forty two. Does no, she run for Australia? Yeah, she does. Okay. Yeah, because apparently Athletics Ireland all those years ago just wanted to have nothing to do with her, and and their loss. Yeah. But um, you know, divers probably you know will be cashing in because you know she won't go on for much longer at this level. She's not doesn't look like she's going to slow down. <laughs> but I mean, realistically, she's going to have a couple more years left, and then things are going to start to mm. happen biologically. But if you're you know Pashley, and I think she's, how old's Pashley? Do you I know? I think she's thirty. Yeah, okay. But she's a late comer to the sport too. So she was playing netball five years ago. Do you know what I'm so dirty about with Pashley? Yeah. What's Every time right? I come home from a run and upload my data on Strava, <laughs> it always tells me you're in the second fastest for this section or whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm like, oh, who bloody beat me? It's always Ali Pashley. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Mind you, I'm getting smacked up by a 226. 226 person. It's, um, yeah, you know. If you start beating her, or have those expectations for your marathon coming <laughs> so, up next okay, year. So she was a netballer until a few years ago. Yeah, she played down at Anglesey, down the surf coast. And, oh. and you know, you, you hear, I've heard stories firsthand. I've, you know, I've had quite a bit to do with her in the past. Have and, you? Yeah, so we used to work together at the same oh. store, the same running store. Really? Yeah, yeah back I in didn't know you knew 2010. It. So it was 2010. I remember, you know, we're having these conversations, and, and the owner of the running store I worked at, he was a 219 guy, American guy, moved over to Australia. And, um, he was, you know, acting as a sort of mentor because she didn't really have a coach. She'd rock up to Zatapec every year and, you know, run 36 mid or something like that, which is quite a good time for a female, but it's not world class. No. And you're running 36 something. There's no, you know, you're not going to, no one's asking, are you going to be making, you know, representing Australia anytime soon? But we used to always pick her brains and it was actually Julian Spence used to work there as well and Ryan Christian for those oh, yeah. you might know him as well. Yeah. That would, we used to work oh, there. So. Moved to guitar or something for a couple of years. Yeah, triathlete now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we used to ask her, you know, what's, what's your training been looking like? She'd literally run when she felt like it. I think she'd be lucky to do over 20K a week. Oh, she was really? running 36 minutes on that. And then she'd go off backpacking for six months at a time, come back and try to get fit again. And I think that's where the talent showed. The talent wasn't with the times that she was running as a 20-something or early 20s athlete, but it was just knowing how little she was doing that – we used to, you know, used to have the presumptions that this was going to happen, but you never can guarantee that either. Mm. There's plenty of athletes who do really good things off not much training, and then bodies break down when they run more. Or yeah, but um, it, it, it's incredible. It, it really is. Yeah, it's true. You just um, when you're saying it, it's a it's a talent in itself for your body not to break down, isn't it? Like there's it's luck. It's, it's so much luck in the body. Yeah. Do you, do you think it's it. luck? Yeah, it's biological. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, hey, you're a car, Like some people just have the luck. If it's those deficiencies in running style, like you, you meet people who, you know, might be really conscious of all the calcium intake levels and all that, and just get stresses every you mm. know, every year, and that might be because you know just their their running style just really isn't conducive to handle it. And you, you know, some people find that limit. I I was relatively injury free. You were probably pretty similar. Yeah, I had a good run. Yeah. I had a couple of little injuries when I was. You can't avoid them though. You nah, just, you when can't. I was fifteen or sixteen, yeah. I remember I got like a little stress fracture in my back that yep. threw me out of action for six weeks and yeah. Honestly, apart from that, though, I never... I had a few tendon issues, I think, in, in my lower lower leg. And I think now, you know, I've got the chronic sore Achilles and, and oh, all those you? things yeah. I do. But, like, that's more of an old man injury than a, anything I'd attribute to running. So, I don't know. I'm yeah. older than you. I've got no... I feel good. You get up and you know, you got your run this morning, you were feeling good from the first minute leg? Well, I can't... But in, I, no. <laughs> my short answer. But I would, I would say even when I was yeah. 13 or 14, I never felt good for the first minute. It was yeah. always a... I've been feeling it more so after I turn 30. I think my body's sort of telling me that, yeah. Do you reckon it yeah, is? Yeah, it is. Things are starting to happen. <laughs> I, I hurt my back. Um, I had a bit of a bulging disc problem from being on the whippersnipper for five minutes. I've got the smallest front, you know, a bit of patch of grass. 
ever. And I got the whippersnipper out a few months ago and I seriously bulged a disc. Like, yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's things like that. I know for a fact if I was 19 and doing that, I'd have no issue. But do you reckon when you're 19 compared to what you are now, you're doing the same amount of strength work and stuff like that that's going to help protect those little... I think you get away with it at 19. Yeah, I think okay. your body just recovers that much quicker is the way I notice it. Like, I reckon at 19, you don't need to worry about, you know, those recovery things. And I think it gets exacerbated the older you get. So I, I think you'd have to be more mindful of the 1% as the older you get. Yeah. Well, there's, definitely, like, there's no argument that it comes to a point in your life where age is going to play a factor. Oh, you yeah. You're not going to be down. 70 years old. I'm going to still run a, you know, four minutes for yeah. a long run, but I'm, yeah. just, I'm not convinced it's, I'm not convinced we're there yet. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm not saying you are. I'm saying my body. I, yeah. I, I, I feel it. And, you, you know. look fantastic. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it, is, it is funny, though. Like, there's a few things just start to hit you. Like, you know, I'm a mad AFL supporter and, you know, I'm, I, you know, I love the Geelong Footy Club and I look through the player list and I'm, I'm counting on one hand the amount of players older than me. And so it's just, it's moments like that where you're like, oh, shit, I am actually, you know, I'm not young anymore. It like, is yeah. so sort of funny you mentioned AFL. Yeah. I look at that sometimes. Like, have a flick through the um, have a flick through the, the ages and the numbers and yeah. things of, of how old people are and, yeah, go far enough. Right. The average age is twenty three. Yeah, <laughs> and then when you know every club, you know you look at a thirty year old and the media tries to retire them. Yeah, and so you know I turn thirty two next year, and you're probably thirty three next year, and yeah, would be ancient. Would be. It's interesting yeah. this, this AFL talk as well. Like I wonder how much of it is like anything to do with sort of physical exercise. I'm, I'm working with a couple of AFL clubs. Yeah, a couple of footy clubs. Yeah. this this preseason and. And, and I can't remember if it was me and you who had this conversation, but one thing that seems to be so celebrated in in footy clubs is just absolutely smacking yourself as hard as you can go, being on your hands and knees and yep. vomiting at the end of a session. Yeah. Um, I get it. Like mentally it's nice to be able to go home and go, oh, I worked as hard as I possibly could today. But the truth is if you're doing that in a preseason and then going out for 22 yeah. rounds, maybe more if you're playing finals and – Having a really physical battle week in, week out, your body's going to start to break down. I wonder how much of the work, especially around running, this is something I'm passionate about because I think I look at a lot of... Um, it's a running-based sport. It's a running-based sport. Yeah. Um, and it's not something that they have a lot of help with running in. Like a, you mm. look at, you, you might have a personal trainer or the amount of clubs that I've spoken to where I ask the question, like, okay, like, who have you had to come and actually work through your training program? They go, oh, no, our club physio used to play... First, he played down here for a few years, and he was a pretty good runner. He's just given us some guidance. That's good if you can get some general guidance, but I wonder how much it's playing um, a negative impact that these guys are having no, no, no sort of professional guidance on. Okay, like how hard do we push ourselves? What do we work? What are some warm up drills? What are some strength yeah. exercises? Because the amount of blokes also who they can pump all the weights in the gym, but they just can't balance on their foot, or you know, yeah. their inability to just do any agility exercises I, w- I wonder how much that's breaking down their body quicker than it needs to because you have your you have your exceptions to the rule like your dust uh your fletchers and um your dustin yeah. dustin fletcher i'm saying his name right dustin fletcher, yeah. um who's a big exception to the rule he played till he was like 37 38 yeah, yeah what are your thoughts on that it's like, interesting what? i think in terms of local sport though when they're only training twice a week I mean, they, most of those guys will be doing more outside of it. I, I feel like they just try to cram so much in because they re- the reality is they see so have spent so much more little time with the athletes, you know. So I, I think they do they do celebrate you know they're going to the well that much to their own detriment. No yeah. doubt, it's not that good for them. It has its place though. There's definitely sessions where you need to do that. Hundred percent, but hundred percent, not every particularly in that sport too, because the sort of running in that sport, like you went out there and you ran. 80k a week at five minute k pace. It's not going to be that conducive to to performance in footy, but um, it, yeah, they definitely go overboard. And, and I, I think like what you're talking about, they just don't know how to analyze you know data. Like we'll, we've had this chat before about you know preseason time trials, and I play local footy at the moment for those interested. And you know, you go out there, you do a three k time trial, and they do absolutely nothing with the data. Mm. And they, what are they learning? They know who the best runners are. They already know that. Yeah. I reckon if it, if, if a coach had never ran a 3K time trial at his club, he'd be able to tell you the top 10 with good accuracy. So it's just what they do with that data and then how they analyse it and then sort of figuring out tailored training programs for the guys who need it and, you know, and how that's going to help them, which I, yeah, I, you're right. I think it's one of those sports in Australia where they don't quite have that knowledge. But, yeah, it's 
can't blame them either, can you? They're just a bit stuck in the past, I think. And, mm. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, it's, I wrote a little article, I know you saw it the other yeah. day, um, just about how I think, I can't remember if I mentioned this in it, but I reckon tradition plays a big part in, in what we do because yeah. you, you look at your heroes or you look at what the people before you have done, you go, oh, far out, look, that's what they used to do. Yeah. And the time trial for me, as, as I sort of mentioned, like, yeah, you want to do something with the data. The idea of a time trial for the sake of a time trial is just, why not just get straight into some some other kind of training because it's gross. I love running and I, I dread it. You dread it. It's not fun. It's <laughs> yeah. it's um yeah. It's 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 not fun and it tells you nothing. And in yeah. fact, like if, if my club has one this preseason, I'll go up there and the annoying thing will be is that you I'll be lining up on the start line. I'll be expected to win it. The pressure will be on to do it. Yeah. And then you're just sort of hoping that they're going to do something with those the numbers that they get out of it. And, yeah. Unless you do. That's my only issue with it. It's yeah. like I've got nothing against the time trial itself. Yeah. I've got something to do with the time trial for the sake of the time trial. Correct. It's what's always been done. Yeah. Um, like an old club running out the beat test or something like that and not yeah. having a clue what those numbers mean, you know. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I think there's a lot of room. I, I, I know there's a lot of room for improvement in this in this part of that game. But, um, man, we've been talking a little bit about marathon training. I've, I've sort of I've, I've launched mine a little bit. Yeah, you've been jogging a lot. <laughs> have you noticed? I have. Like, so Tice has done about you know sixty odd k for the last seven days, and I think your average k pace would be just under five minutes for that. When are you going to start running faster, Tice? Yeah, no time to. <laughs> <laughs> so there is, like, I guess, there's validity in that approach. So your idea is just trying to build up a bit of an aerobic base at the moment to get the Correct. body used to it. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm trying to do, one thing, one thing, and especially when I'm bloody uploading onto Strava, I know you're going to check my time. One thing that I'm trying not to do is go out and just start running 440s just because yeah. you're going to be impressed by it. Um, I, I'm trying at the moment to go, okay, look, I haven't run seriously for the last six months. Yeah. No, no, far out. The last over a year. I've been doing a couple of jogs here and there. You've been on and off before that for a while too, though. So, yeah, yeah exactly. So I've had, and, and in fairness, I've had nothing to train for. Like I've, I enjoy running, but I, I enjoy going to the gym and busting out a little bit of yoga and stuff as well. So yeah. my my idea at the moment, I'll tell you, you tell me your thoughts and uh, and, and call rubbish where you need to call it. Um, I'm going to set the goal of I'm going to head to Brisbane for the Brisbane Marathon. Maybe. This is just uh, yeah. on the drawing board, which is April. That'd be hot. It's going to be warm, but yeah. I don't mind the heat. Okay. Um and my goal there, all going well, is I just I want to run two hours fifty nine, fifty nine, whatever. Yeah, two hours fifty nine, just something. I want to be able to get across the finish line in under three. Just be in the four, you know, the just, sub three pace. Just being sub, yeah, just to just to get get that done. Hopefully, yep. all going well. And then I'm going to keep training, and I'm going to I'm going to do the Melbourne Marathon in October. Yeah, so I've got October next year. Yeah, so I've got I've got all the time in the world. What I don't want to do is start busting out two or three sessions a week and trying to be a hero yeah. straight up. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right because, you know, you're probably just going to get injured. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, do you need to go to the loop? <laughs> can you keep talking? Well, I can keep talking. Let me give a little bit of an overview of what I've been doing and then um, you already pretty much know. So, Mate, I'm, I'm on top of it. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> so my Strava at the moment is, uh, if you if you want to have a look, is, is pretty much, you'll, you'll see pretty clearly that the last week, there's there's not much impressive sort of running in terms of how fast I've been doing it going on. Um, Maddie mentioned, yeah, I reckon the average pace is probably probably five minutes. Um, and the idea there is just to, to rebuild up that, that gradual foundation. There's no need for me to start trying to bust out anything too important. So I'm thinking probably for, what are we now, like mid-November, December, I reckon probably for the next month and a half, I'm just going to keep running like that, just getting a good foundation and get used to to running some some decent distance, and then once that aerobic fitness really starts to come back, I'll uh, I'll start to inject like a couple of faster paces here and there. But one thing I reckon that I made a mistake on for the last marathon was um, so much so much fast work and nowhere near enough long work. So I reckon for the last marathon I did, Maddie, I well I know my I did one long run, like one really long yeah. run, which was. 30k it was the furthest I ran. Yeah, um, and I ran it at four minute k pace, and I felt horrendous. And I was like, "Yeah, that'll do. It's only 12k more than that." I'll be fine. <laughs> um, so this aerobic idea of just gradually building my my distance, yeah. just getting my legs used to that, is going to continue for about the next month and a half ish. Speaking of weight, in a really inappropriate way, what are your what are your what's the scales reading? Seventy seven. Yeah. So like you, you 
I wouldn't say that's heavy by any stretch, but you're definitely a bit heavier than what you used to be when you were a 1500 guy. Yeah, that's yeah. What, my pecs never poked out like they, <laughs> they do right now. Mate, say goodbye to them because they are going to disintegrate. Uh, yeah, no, see, this is, I, I said this to you as well before I pressed record. That's one reason I don't want to do a marathon because I bloody turned to a skinny bastard again. I know. I don't want to, and you called me vain. I did. Damn it. <laughs> it's good for me. I said, actually, I was having a chat to my mum the other day, and I go, ah, bloody, I've, I've worked hard to try and put on some weight. I don't want to run a marathon. She goes, get over yourself. You've yeah. got the rest of your life to put on weight if you're interested. Exactly. It's yeah. going to happen one day anyway. Far out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think it's a little bit the least of your concerns. Like, you're not going to be that, you know, 65-year-old, 65-year-old, 65-kilogram skinny dude. Like, you're going to have that bit of size about you still. But, yeah, you, you know, it's just going to happen. You know, you run that. You run close to 100K a week. You're going to lean off, you know. You're going to lose a few kilos. Mm. What, what would your advice be to me? If you're my coach right now, what would what would you have to say to me about my marathon trip? Do you like where I'm at in terms of what I'm do. doing? Yeah, okay. I do. I'd be I'd be probably close to probably introducing like a tempo ish sort of run once a week. So like the first sort of sessions that I'd be looking at introducing would be something like a twenty minute warm up. And if you you know your jogging pace is at you know four fifties, I'd be looking at running. So you go twenty minute warm up. I'd be looking at twenty minutes low fours like four sixteen. Mm-hmm. So I'd be looking at Three hour pace. Interesting that you chose four sixteens because I um, looked at my Strava today <laughs> and I, was, I did fifteen k's at four minutes fifty two. I thought, oh, what a great run! That was a beautiful way to see the city of Melbourne on this beautiful Sunday morning. And then I logged on a couple of hours later and saw you ran fifteen k's at four sixteen. Just with the, um, I know there's, I don't know if there's a little like fu emoji um, that's available on your keypad, but I reckon if there was, you would have posted it on. I'd, my comment section of Strava today. <laughs> I'd be lying if I didn't see yours and I wanted to. I've got to. I've got to be honest though. I, I'm. I'm one of those guys that I'm more comfortable running four twenties than four fifties. That's what your brother says as well. I spoke to Trina. Yeah, about this and I, I, um, I'm I not sure that. if it's my stride, but so I, I got out the front door this morning and I, I was feeling a bit. You know, I wasn't really in the mood for a run, and I first came. 31. Yeah, 31. <laughs> I am. Gee, yeah. I'm getting on that. And, um, yeah, like the first K was 440 and I'm thinking, this feels shit. And then, so I had a bit of a downhill stretch. I started to roll into it a bit and I, I, I just feel better. Like mm. I, um, I, I genuinely, uh, my ideal pace, if I go out there from any run from 4K to 15, I think 426s is where my, because that's where the bulk of my, Jogs are four twenty sixes. Yeah, you never post anything slower than four forty. Correct. Yeah, and so like my long run today, I, I picked it up a bit on purpose. So what I did was I was probably averaging around that four twenty sixes to about eight k. Mm-hmm. Then my last seven, I, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to turn this into a bit of a, you know, because you know it's like working full time. I'm only running about forty k a week at the moment, getting fit for footy. So my idea was just roll into a bit of a tempo, just combine, make the long run a session, not just a run. Yeah. Because it takes yeah. a bit of the pressure off me during the week. I'll probably do one more session during the week and that's it. And yeah. I, I think I can get away with doing that because I treat it as a session. Yeah. And sure. so tomorrow, and that's if I run tomorrow, I'll do a 4K jog yeah. at those 4.30s, yeah. which is enough just to get moving. It's not detrimental. It's just a, you know, run for the sake of running. But, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. But, yeah, that's that where I'm at. But, yeah, I, I can't jog slow. And I, people look at me going, you know, like, what's going on? It just, it feels gross. Well, you just hate that. Yeah, see, so the, the it feels worse. Yeah, so I often, I often feel worse in the moment, like oh, this just doesn't feel good or smooth yeah. or anything. Yeah. But I sometimes force myself. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes like, yeah. I've had a couple of five eighteen averages where I'm like, oh my god, yeah. like, this is all I got. Um, but I reckon uh, sometimes my body thanks me a couple of days later when I just go out and. Especially when I'm running yep. the distances that I'm starting to slowly get back towards now. Yeah. Um. I, I think if I went out and tried to run 440s uh, at the fitness level that I'm at now or, or faster, it would be to my detriment on like a long run. It would get to a 13K and be like, oh, I'm just pain. I'm in pain. Yeah. Sore. And like, I was out there today and I definitely felt fatigued, particularly in my hip flexors. And, and in, I know my glutes probably aren't firing as much as they should at the moment. So there's a bit of compensation happening in other parts of my body. But, yeah, I – um. Oh, there's two ways to look at it too. Like if I ran a five minute K pace today, I'm out of my feet for longer. Yeah. So like, yeah. you know, the trade off is there. Yeah. You know, what is better for you? And probably being out there for longer at a slower pace probably is. Mm. But yeah, I mean, with the amount of Ks I'm running a week, I can afford for them to be fast. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm running 160k a week, there's no way no one will be going out there running four sixteens for a Sunday run because it's stupid having that much of your mileage that quick. But for where I'm at at the moment, why not? That's the beauty of your situation. That's the beauty of our situation. Yeah, yeah, it was there was some like almost an element of freedom that came across me when I um, it came upon me when I when I finished running. It's like I don't have to do no. anything I don't have to do yeah. a session today I don't have to it turns out for the love of the sport that I you know I, yeah. I kept doing it I love just enjoyed it feeling that you get like I got Nothing to 10k today it. and it's just like you know you go through the patches I had like a rough five minutes you know and then I'm, but you just feel so much better when you come out of it you finish and run and you're buzzing and you got a little dull feeling in your legs like you've done something and you know you can go and get that donut afterwards if you want guilt free and you know like there's <laughs> just those little things that little joys that you have from it and yeah, yeah. it is a nice situation but geez I'd struggle to race I reckon now I don't I wouldn't want to that's my problem yeah, with you the sport. To me the other day you're just not interested in in competing you just like the fitness part of it I know what I'm capable of and I'm just no I'm probably not, I don't, I don't think I could get back to it what to the times that you did run? Correct. Yeah, I think okay. it would just take a bit too much. Where my life's at too, you know, working full time and, and yeah. all those other things. I think, you know, doing what I did in the early twenties, I'm pretty comfortable with what I've done. But I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure how mentally I would go rocking up and running a. I don't know. I don't even know what I'd run a 10k in at the moment. I've got no doubt I could run. I don't know. I'd run 38. Probably go slightly quicker, maybe. It's funny, man. Like, like it's hard. Well, know. one of the things that I used to always want. So Sean Crichton just ran out, went out and broke the Australian fifty plus marathon. Record, yeah, two twenty nine twenty three, whatever he ran. Yep. It's nineteen minutes slower than his best ever, but he was. He said he was just as happy at the end of that race as what he was when he ran yeah. two ten. Yeah. And I sort of get that. Like, there's. Yeah. Like, I know that the times that I'm going to be posting for a marathon in the next twelve months would be nowhere near what I would have run when I was at my peak. Was he running as, as much mileage though as when he was at his peak? I don't know. He's, he's putting up some decent numbers. Like so, he, yeah. I, know he's running, I know he's running regularly. Um, yeah. So I guess my issue more so is that if I do something, I do feel like going all in. Mm. And like particularly in a sport like running, I'm, it'd be very, I think I would struggle mentally knowing that I have done more and could do more. Yeah, sure. And just being satisfied with you know what if i was running 80k a week just being happy with that 80k a week i think that would be a bit of a challenge knowing that i'd get quicker if i ran more yeah so the the joy for you is the fact that you're not actually having to line up on a a start line you can just you can do the work you're doing now much less yeah "Yeah, but i'm not training for a race yeah i mean in saying that maybe my calling at the moment maybe i do need to go out and do a park run or two yeah, let's do it. I'll do one with you. It'd, be, do it'd be nice. And, and even that would be interesting what I could do over five. Like, so I did a session the other day where I um just one minute on, one minute off fartlek. I saw this. And so I, I, I went through 5K in 1850 or something. Yeah. And so like, and I'm, I'm fit for footy. Like I'm where I want to be for going into a footy season. But then I, I, I started to think to myself, like, shit, can I break 18 minutes for 5K at the moment run 17 high? And Here like, he comes. Well, no, and that, that's my issue. And so maybe it is going to a park run on a – on a really weak day at a park run, winning a park run and just being content with that and feeling good about myself and but maybe not lining up at a you know big milers. Yeah, because yeah, you know. So maybe that's where I'm at and maybe I need to just, you know, have a bit of fun and do that. So maybe I don't know, maybe I might run a park run next weekend. Oh, I'll keep you posted because <laughs> maybe that'll be my first tempo run. Yeah. Yeah. And it could turn into a sprint just trying to beat. Oh no. No one knew there's no way you'll let me get you. <laughs> hey um uh, we'll wrap it up in a minute, but you want to get anything off your chest this week? Yeah, get a bit of a guru's grill. So I um I feel bad, and if you're listening, I'm sorry. But um, <laughs> Luke, I'm going to edit that part out. Luke Matthews. Oh crap! Um, the great man. So what's happened? Okay, so I'll preface this: if he's changed sponsors, uh-huh. disregard everything I'm about to say. Okay. okay, right. Okay. During this year, he signed with Under Armour. You know the American brand and. Not really big into the running scene, but he, he signed on with them as a, as his main sponsor. And you know he's gone out. He's Under Armour makes spikes, and they make you know running shoes these days. And he, he's competed in 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 those um you know that brand of equipment for the last few months. So I'm on Strava this morning. I'm loading my run, and I'm looking at myself about how good I am for <laughs> faster than you. And I, and I saw his morning run, uh-huh. and I'm thinking, oh yeah, that's you know that's not bad, not bad. And I'm having a look at uh, he posts a photo going with it, and he's wearing full Nike kit in the photo that he's posted. And I just might be an old photo. I, I agree, but I just still shook my head, and I'm thinking we're a sport that we complain that we're ignored by mainstream media. There's not enough sponsorship dollars in it. You said it yourself before. There's not enough money in it. 
and people aren't doing the right thing by their sponsors. That's not doing the right thing by your sponsor. Yeah. If I was ever lucky enough to gain a sponsorship, I'd be pumping them up to anyone who could listen. I'd be saying, you know, buy these shoes, buy this, this is the best brand ever because that's what's going to convince sponsors to put more money into the sport if they think they're getting something out of it. What's Under Armour getting out of that? Mm. They're getting him posting photos of him in another rival brand's gear on social media. And I just, I just think we, we shoot ourselves in the foot as, as a sport sometimes and that's an example of that. And I'm not having to go at you, Luke, because I've seen other people do it and it happens regularly. And if that's an old photo, just don't post it. Keep it in the past. You know, post a photo of you, you know, wearing. I hope it was an old photo. Mm. I hope he's I hope he's not training in a rival's, you know, you know, gear. Or I hope he's changed sponsors and he's, he's given them the flick. Because I just feel like it's not a great look and it's not a great look professionally. Yeah. So just stay loyal to the Yeah, staying loyal, because it's what's going to convince other companies to invest money into our sport if they think they're getting something out of it. Yeah. That's sort of where I'm at with that. I, I just shook my head at that and I thought, yeah, hopefully someone's pulling you up on that and it does end up coming down. Mm. But, um, yeah, but if you're listening, it's not a crack at you. It's no. just a, I feel like it's more of a where our sport's at, that we don't – we want the money, but we're not willing to give what the companies, you know, are going to require for the money to come in. Fair point. Fair point. For what it's worth, let's finish it on the right note. The rig looked fantastic. It Most did. of it, yeah. <laughs> lean, looking lean. Lean. <laughs> <laughs> no pecs, no pecs in sight. <laughs> no, not a peck in sight. Uh, we love you, Mickey Matthews. As many said, it's not just you, it's, uh, it's just the, the sport yeah. in general. But no, good grill. Good oh, grill. Yeah, hey, welcome. It's a, it's a privilege to be a part of the Guru's <laughs> Grill. Mate, that was, a, that was a really good chat. Thanks for coming around again. I hope that Furphy treated you well. It wasn't bad. Very tasty. Maybe oh, we should get a sponsorship off that. <laughs> I'll be actually, loyal. I'll be loyal like, to the brand. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'll even post photos with it. Furphy, Wait. best beer of all time. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Wait, before you go, leave us a review. Um, share the podcast with people. I want, I want more people to know. Five stars only. Don't give us one. Yeah, no, if you're not happy, maybe Luke Matthews, review it next week. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be watching your Strava, seeing if that photo comes down. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for stopping by. We'll speak to you soon. See you, See guys. You